Welcome to the Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Nasty, and our goal is to create a movement of strong, competent leaders. Our guests will be a variety of leaders from public safety, military, and the business communities. Our guests will discuss how to lead and flourish by sharing their lessons learned and shared experiences. Today on episode eight, we will discuss great leaders making difficult decisions and pride and ownership with Chief Rick Lasky. Rick Lasky is a 40 plus year veteran of the fire service. Rick followed in his father's footsteps beginning his career as a firefighter in the suburbs on the southwest side of Chicago and has been a line firefighter, firefighter paramedic, company grade officer, training officer, and command level officer. Looking forward to this one. Chief Lasky is easily one of the most recognizable names in the modern fire service and for good reason. So everybody, please like, subscribe, and share to our podcast. Share them with your friends, coworkers, and families. Leave us a review. Five stars our favorite. It helps us grow our community and grow our podcast. And most of all, uh, we're able to get the message out. So thank you all for everything. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the show. It's going to be a good one. Thanks, guys. Hey, everyone. Now it's time to welcome Chief Rick Lasky to the Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. Rick is here to talk about decision-making as a leader, leadership in general, and pride and ownership as a leader. Chief, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. It's, a, it's an honor, buddy. Absolutely. Uh, so just give everybody, for the listeners who may not know who you are, just a little bit of, you know, kind of your background, your history, um, who you are, where you're at, what you're doing. Uh, I think, you know, you're one of the most recognizable names in the fire department, but, uh, you know, give the listeners a rundown of who you are. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I'm, I'm, I'm itching into my 45th year. Uh, I did the whole explore thing all through high school, both police and fire. Uh, I, fo- I, I followed my father's footsteps. My father uh, was a firefighter in the suburbs of the Southwest side of Chicago and fell in love with the job early. Um, couldn't wait. I mean, I, I actually had a problem, uh, a challenge deciding whether I want to be a cop or a firefighter. Um, <clears throat> I was hooked on two shows, uh, Emergency with Johnny Gage, <clears throat> Roy DeSoto, and Adam 12. And uh, so I ended, up, I ended up doing both, but um, uh, uh, got, out of, uh, got out of high school. Instead of going to college for free to play baseball, I ended up doing a little thing with the White Sox. And um, in between uh, spring trainings, I went to you know, paramedic school. I went to the police academy. I ended up getting hired first as a cop. I was a part-time volunteer firefighter. And then um, yeah, in Illinois, you got to be 21 to be a police officer firefighter. And uh, so I I did that. And I always tell people I wasn't very good at being a cop because my first year as a cop, I got shot, stabbed, and burned. So I kind of sucked at being a cop. But, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I always, you know, my dad wanted to be a firefighter. I love I loved being a police officer. I really did. I'm very partial law enforcement. I had to dispatch. I did both. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to be a firefighter and I love, I'm one of the geeks out there. I love EMS. Uh, we could talk about that a little bit later, but I, I absolutely love EMS. I love taking care of people. Um, so I loved, I lo- the whole paramedic thing was awesome. Um, and that's it. I worked, uh, uh, worked, worked, worked through, uh, that part of my career. Um, you know, as a very aggressive, if you will, firefighter paramedic, my dad was a roofer and a firefighter. So that's what I was at. So that made me, uh, very easily assigned to a truck company and then um ended up as a battalion chief uh 
uh, that same area, uh, assistant chief. And then I got offered the job in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Coeur d'Alene is in North Idaho. It's absolutely breathtaking and gorgeous. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, Tom Greif is a chief there now. Tom worked for me as a firefighter, worked his way all the way up. Kenny Gabriel retired after, oh, good, good Lord, uh, forever working there. Kenny was the chief, uh, prior to Tom. Great place. Uh, great. We'd still be there. My fan, we'd still be there. Uh, my first wife moved down to the, Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex with my son and uh, God put us together. Uh, Headhunter called about the job in Louisville, Texas. Louis was about 10 minutes north of um, DFW, the airport there, 10 minutes north of Dallas um, <clears throat> as fire chief and uh, blessed us. Great fire department, great city to work for, great firefighters and officers. Um, uh, told the boss there, I'd give him 10. I gave him almost 12 and me and my best, best friend, John Salka had this dream and this idea of, uh, Furthering what we were doing consulting and teaching-wise with a couple academies for company officers and, and chiefs. And that's where we went. Um, I do a lot of consulting, uh, line of duty, that stuff, follow-ups, uh, a lot of labor management, a lot of mediation, a lot of fixing of things. Uh, like most firefighters, I love fixing stuff and, you know, getting an invite from a city manager or mayor to come into an apartment that's having issues and get it uh, to the point where the men and women want to come back to the firehouse it's the coolest job in the world and i just feel bad when i, I run into people that are just miserable doing it so but uh that that's uh there's a lot more too i've been with fire engineering magazine since 1995 one of the editorial advisors uh, on the fdic board since they bought it in 96 my very very good friend bobby halton chief halton who we just lost um i was with bobby up to 24 hours before he passed we were in hawaii teaching together it was one of the best visits i've ever had with bobby and Again, I think God put us together uh, right there um, uh, with, you know, Shane and our buddies out in, uh, in Hawaii. But um, other than that and teaching and doing everything else, I mean, we can get into the rest of the stuff later on, the saving our own and all that. But uh, sure. uh, that, that's it. That, that's, actually, that's kind of the short version. <laughs> if you can believe that. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, that's quite the introduction. Um, you know, it sounds like you definitely have a very lengthy or a very – um, you have a decent amount of a good amount of experience over your 45 years. Um, so with that being said, I mean, that's, you have quite the background prior to uh, getting into the fire department. Um, so I think one of the things you're most well, well, I know one of the things you're most well known for is uh, your book, Pride and Ownership. Now, Pride and Ownership is a book that I read uh, fairly recently. Um, I've heard of it. I never, I never read it. And um, I think that was a matter of circumstance more than anything, but uh, I came across it and I was like, you know, I need to listen to this. And uh, I audio booked it and I, I've listened to it several times since. Um, and th there's a lot, there's definitely, you can tell that you love what you do. There's a lot of experience and knowledge and most of all, specifically wisdom. So with your book, Pride and Ownership, that, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that's tapping into all the, everything we just talked about your 45 years of experience and everything. Um, so with, with the book and the pride and the ownership, what, what made you start that? Where were you where you were like, you know, Hey, I need to write this down or, you know, why did you start it? And uh, when did you start it? And uh, it takes through that. Well, in, in, in pride and ownership, um, when I, when I do the program and it's still the best selling book and it's still the, the most popular program. And I'm, that's not a plug. That's just where it is. Because, people always ask me why. And I'm like, well, because we get to stand there and talk about the greatest, the greatest job in the world, volunteer career, doesn't matter. Same thing. 
uh, the greatest profession. It's easy to find good things to talk. It's all, it's all the things we love about the fire service. It's all the things we hate about the fire service at the same time. Um, but I've, I've got, I've got probably about 360, 368 programs that I do. I do a lot in the private sector, a lot for corporations. We do a lot for the military, a lot for law enforcement and EMS and all that. But, you know, pretty much every program uh, that, that I've done, especially those that are lengthy, um, you know, we sat down like when my buddy John Salk and I created to get a, the company officer academy. We've been done, doing company officer stuff forever, but we wanted to do something different. And uh, we sat down and we wrote the whole outline. We wrote the whole lesson plan. Um, when I created the Saving Our Own program uh, back in 1990, um, you know, anyone that went through that program uh, at the University of Illinois Fire Service Institute or with, uh, you know, with me, got a, when you left, you got the lesson plan, you got the handouts, you got everything. It was a train to trainer. So th there was a thought process behind that because it was, you know, that Get Out Alive, my buddy John Salka, we created at the same time. We're the first firefighter rescue programs in the country. A lot of history there with, you know, the first writ bag and all that different stuff. And, you know, I always ask people, we've done the Denver Rescue, that was ours. The Nance Drill, that's ours. Approaching on fire, our second floor stairs, all that stuff, those rescues. You know, the first writ bag, I wrote about that. And, you know, all those different things that saving our own. That, that prope propelled me nationally, if you will, on the teaching circuit, which led to all the leadership and everything else. Pride and ownership happened on accident, Mike. Um, I never sat down and, and said, I, I want to do a program called Pride and Ownership. I just, what happened was for the February 2001 FDIC, uh, Peter Hodge, who was running things then, uh, Diane, Diane Rothschild, is, she's been the boss for a long time with that, uh, vice president, working under Chief Halton now, Chief David Rhodes, who we can talk about David later. David's incredible. Uh, we're in great hands with with, with David. Um, but uh, Peter called me and said, hey, Bill wants to know if you do the opening keynote at Indy. Bill Manning was our editor at the time. He gave me my start. So I'm always uh, thankful and I'm indebted to Bill. Uh, Bobby was my boss and my, one of my best friends for the last 18 years uh, and did incredible things with, with the whole Clarion family, everything, all the magazines and everything. But uh, Peter asked me if I do the keynote at Indy. And I said, what? what what, what's he want me to do it on? I'm a good soldier. I'll do it. He goes, he wants you to do it on a thing you do. And, and you know, Berzy, uh, 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 Peter's from Jersey. And, you know, people from New Jersey have an accent, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and you know, they put ours on the other everything. I always tease my buddies from there. I got an idea or I saw her. But he says, uh, he wants he, Bill wants you to do that thing you do. I said, what thing? He goes, you know, when you got your soapbox and you bitch about chiefs who don't care about their guys and company officers who don't want to train their people and firefighters are they're just, just there for a paycheck or they're just there for the teacher at their volley place or whatever. Um, uh, he said, uh, he goes, you know, it, it, you know, get, we, we need, we need you to talk about the traditions that we've lost and, you know, all the different stuff that's just kind of went away. And we've got fire chiefs that are, you know, scrubbing the walls of the firehouse sterile. And then they go, then they're complaining that the guys don't, the guys don't treat it like a firehouse anymore. Well, you took that away from them. You know, you, you, you know, if it doesn't look like a firehouse, it's it's probably not one and all that. They don't take pictures next to the rigs anymore. We just don't. And I said, okay, okay, I'm, I'm a good I'm a good soldier. I'll do it. He goes, well, here's the catch. He goes, all your keynotes are off the cuff and from the heart. You can't do that. You got to write this down. There's 5,000 people there opening day at Indy. And, you know, we got the teleprompters. And so I said, all right, I'm a good soldier. I'll do it. So I, I wrote, wrote something down on the airplane going up there. And that morning, when they, if anybody's watched the video, that's out there. A lot of people watch that. Um, when they introduced me, Mike, I walk out and I, I got to the podium. I'm not much of a podium person. And I read the first three lines off the teleprompter 
and I walked away. And I and I thank God till this day they filmed because by the time I got done, like I was on a roll, I forgot I had no idea what I was like, talking about. <laughs> sure. I just know. I mean, there's one point where I'm yelling. I, I know this. I had to write a letter of apology to Kmart because I, I guess I insulted them. by there's a point where I'm at the edge of the stage and I'm yelling, if you don't love this job, if you're not willing to take care of your brothers and sisters, then get the hell out. Go work for Kmart where you can stock shelves all day and go home and not give a damn. And everybody stood up and cheered. And I came off and Diane, instead of saying great job, she goes, okay, now you have to write a letter of apology to them. You have to write a letter of apology to Sears and to Subway and all this. And <laughs> uh, But obviously we hit, hit a good chord with a lot of people because – it took off from there. Um, I never, never, in fact, I didn't, I didn't want to do the book. Um, they kept asking me, I said, no, no, no. And I actually did a 12 part article series with fire engineering magazine first. And then one of my friends came in, Jerry Nalis, another Jersey guy, another Jersey brother. And, uh, he's a, a Mason like me and he threw the whole brother thing at me. And he was in charge of books at the time and said, we're going to do a book on pride and ownership. And so I caved and, uh, that's it. That's, that's where that particular program, um, you know, got its birth and there was no rhyme or reason. There was no, you know, a lot of people have all kinds of thoughts. Like I, I can tell you why the saving room program was started. I can tell you about, you know, um, the, the firefighter got killed, you know, my friend that, that drove that program. There was a whole reason behind it and, and a whole plan, but pride and ownership just happened, dude. It just happened. And, um, it's grown into something that I'm pretty proud of, uh, and uh, I love I love getting people fired up. It's the greatest job in the world, man. It's the greatest profession. So, no, absolutely, I agree. How much How much do you think created the success of your of uh, everything that you talked uh, everything you just spoke about, and then everything you talked talked about and the the topics in the book and, and the examples and everything? How much relatability to you personally do you think that played? Like people reading this, knowing. You know, well, Rick Lasky's got all this time on. He's very recognizable. He's a very recognizable person. I mean, obviously, you're not just born with 45 years in the fire department, you know, with this that much life experience and that far in your life. You're not born with that. You come from somewhere. You come from, you know, humble beginnings, as you said. You started out as a, as a, as a police officer and a volunteer firefighter who was shot, stabbed, and burned. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> quite, a, that's a, quite a way to start your well, – Pull well, people, career out. <laughs> people ask me that. They're like, I said, well, you know, I, I, I was a dispatcher. I did this when I went on the street, you know, being a, a, a firefighter that's playing a cop, you know, one of the first fires at two in the morning, I go running into this apartment building with, you know, the plastic shirts that we used to wear and had a bunch of burning embers drop down and, and, you know, inside my shirt, inside my, my bulletproof vest and burn my back. Um, I, you know, I was at a bar fight, big bar busted up a fight and, um, uh, I had two guys separated waiting for the rest of the backup to get there. And the guy on the other side, the guy to my right, jumped over him with a knife to stab this guy and stuck me in the arm. I'm looking at the scar right now. And the other one was uh, they, they, they shot through the windows of the police station. It wasn't at me. It was at the uniform. It was a bad guy. But uh, uh, but it, you know, it, it was pretty funny because my FDO said, Lasky, you kind of suck at being a cop. You need to. And I actually was a very good cop. But he's like, he goes, you know. Yeah, I think you, you need to go be a firefighter, but, um, and, and I think he was half joking, but I also think he was half serious, but you, you know, <laughs> the pride ownership book, Mike, um, a lot, a lot of that is me. Um, like, and I, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm the normal firefighter out there. I'm the normal, you know, the guy or gal that just, you love what you do. You fall in love with the fire service. And at first you don't know why at first it's this, 
there's a lot of a lot of guys and gals that are kind of bumping into walls, loving the job, that, but they really don't know why they love it. And and the more you work through the, your career as a firefighter, I think you find out, you know, the reasons why. I'm I'm a volunteer firefighter again. I've been I work with the Wichita West Volunteer Fire you know Fire Department out here in Texas and work for a great chief Ryan Fetzer. And uh, I'm there. He, they drug me. Uh, I always I joke they drug me screaming and and clawing uh, into being a lieutenant, being a training officer. But we have a great department with great people. Um, but there's there's a lot of people I think that. It takes a while, just like me, to realize, you know, why you love what you do. And through that, as you know, Mike, I'm sure you've been there. You know, we all have. You work for good bosses. And you work for for horrible bosses. And and uh, uh, sometimes working for a bad boss is one of the best things you can go through in your career. And I worked for a horrible boss. Um, uh, you know, I always made the commitment that I, if I ever, I never want to be a fire chief. I, I I had no intention to be a fire chief. I said if. If I ever get to be a fire chief, I'm going to be the kind of fire chief that I wanted to work for, not the one I hated working for. Um, sure. You know, that thing. And I fell, in, I fell in love with training in the 80s at a very young age, uh, uh, teaching hazmat first, and then everything hazmat. Then, you know, mm -hmm. um, essentials and any academies and truck work and all that stuff. And then, you know, when we put the Saving Our Own program together, everything took off. But uh, the Pratt Ownership book, I mean, you know, if you kind of look at the, the, the sections and the chapters, you know, it starts off with the mission of the fire service, what we really are and, and what we represent. We could talk about that in a little bit if you want. I've got a great Go message I, I, I do with that. Go ahead. And then, and then, we you know, we get into, Mike, we get into the, the firefighter. That's the, you know, the rookie firefighter, probably up to the senior firefighter and the impacts they have. Company officers, chiefs, our two families, sweating the small stuff, all the little things that get us hurt and killed, you know ceremonies and then getting out there into the public and you know the whole 9 11 thing and never forgetting means never forgetting and you know there's a couple different endings um but it, it just all kind of flowed that way it's just like let's let's just work let's mike is that 40 days god bless him i love firefighters that's 40 days because 40 years i have no idea why they're in the fire and i'm amazed when i go i talk about what it is how many people go i didn't know that you know so you know it starts there with some great leadership lessons and, and growth and development lessons. And then next thing you know, we're talking company officers and chiefs. And then, you know, how to get your people to understand they have value in their organization. That's through the ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And you got to be out there in the public. You got to be vested in your, your your community. And so it kind of walks through all the things. But I'll be honest, with you, I lived it all. I, I you know, uh, I remember uh, – being promoted and and having my chief, he got he got guilted into having a cake there uh, by a friend of mine, a mentor of mine. I'm like, you know, we 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 don't we don't we don't recognize people. We we want them to take the promotional position seriously, but we do nothing to show that we're serious about it on our end. You know, we hire firefighters w without making them put their hand up and take an oath. And you know, th th this is the this is the greatest profession in the world, man. It's the coolest job in the world, and. Um, I tell people all the time, Mike, I, I have I have very little patience. I've got about five things in my life that make my teeth itch. Number one are mm -hmm. people who are disloyal, cannot stand people who are disloyal, who have no honor, have no integrity. But I have no patience for people who hate this job. If you don't like this job, go away. We don't need you. You know, it takes something very special to be a firefighter. And we're all we got all we we've passed so many years, we've gotten a little nervous and afraid to stand up to those people. You know, and mm -hmm. I told a guy not too long ago, I said, look. No disrespect to fast food, but you're angry. You don't want to be here. Why don't you leave? I, we just drove by Taco Bell coming to this firehouse, and Taco Bell is starting at $18 an hour. 
you go work there and not have to be committed, not have to worry about the place. And, you know, if it's a uniform, they'll give you a uniform. You can still wear a uniform. If you want to talk on the radio, you can still talk on a headset to the speaker and take somebody's order. But you don't have to be here anymore yeah. because, you know what I'm saying? Little boy, I tell little boys and girls, little boys and girls want to be you, man. They Little boys and girls want to be firefighters. You know, they, 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 they point at two things, the ice cream truck and the fire engine. And, and senior, I mean, I'm just saying that it's the, it's the coolest job in the world. And if you don't love it, I'm not talking about a bad mood. Just go away. You know, I'm just saying this is, yeah. I, I just, you know, I want to hang with people that love the job, man. So sure. No, I mean, attitude's everything. You, and I think, and I forget where I saw this, but I saw a quote that said, you know, you, you need to hire for attitude because you can teach someone skills. You can't teach them how to, uh, how to have a good attitude. Right. I think that people are naturally going to be drawn to things that interest them. However, you know, if you don't, if you are hiring to fill numbers, quotas, and or things like that, I think that's going to always, always, always reduce your good candidates oh. because you're not looking for the right people. You're looking to fill a number or fill a spot or whatever. I don't, don't, don't just fill. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Well, sure. Let me just jump in real quick, Mike. Um, uh, it's, in, it's, it's in the, the private ownership book. It was on the poster. It did for me. <clears throat> it's on all my bookmarks, but it's a phrase I love. And that the phrase is a leader with great passion and a few skills. This is exactly what you just said, Mike. A leader with, just say a firefighter, but a leader with great passion and few skills always outperforms a leader with great skills and no passion. Yeah. It's just what you said. Yeah. You know, we, we can we can teach them the skills, but you know, now I let me just throw this in a real quick before you move on. Go ahead. You know, I, I, I believe that but not 100% because here's my thought as much as I love that saying and I use it, um, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, I can't teach a pa- I can't, I, I can't teach a passion, but I can teach you skills. So hire people that have, have heart, have desire, but the great leaders out there, the great bosses that are out there, you know, they, they, they have this ability, a lot of them to take, people that may not be engaged or may not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and turn yeah. them into something special. So there are a lot of great leaders, a lot of great team builders that have a talent for taking someone who may not be into the job and getting them fired up. Now that doesn't work with everybody. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying is there is a little, a little percentage there of, of, you know what you give me someone, if, if you're leading with passion, if you're giving them something to draft off of, if you could, cause some of these people, they may not have the best attitude or not be into it. it that that may be how that might have been how they were raised in their home. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, you, know, sure. you know, and 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 it's our it's our obligation, it's our chance to mold them and get them to a point where uh, uh, you know where we want them to be. If they can't figure it out after that, then maybe they need to go somewhere else. But you know, I wouldn't throw everybody away, but 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 I absolutely do believe in that. I, so much so it's on my bookmark that you know can't 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 teach i can teach you skills but i can't teach you the passion but i'm going to give it i'm going to give it a go well you also have to be teachable you know you have to be able to um you have to be able to be led and and i think there's a lot of times when people don't know any better and i think you know it's that old saying you know you don't know what you don't know but that's where we come in as leaders and you have to be that good leader to be able to grab someone and take them to their next level that's the coaching side of leadership that's you know what I think separates great players from, or off great coaches from good coaches, 
You know, I think, you know, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, any, think of any sports team, you know, insert any name, there's teams that went from being number one, Super Bowl champions, you know, championship teams, I mean, and then they turn around and they don't even make the playoffs the next year, you know, or you have those Cinderella stories where you had any sports team where they go from last place to first place, it's a Cinderella story and they show up and they win the championship. And I think a lot of that has to do with coaching. You have, you know, there's plenty of times where I think there, there's an old saying where it says you have to have five superstars to win a, t- win a uh, championship when it comes to uh, baseball or like hockey and stuff like that. But look at uh, how many teams win the championship. And as you watch them, you know, kind of go through at the end, there's a lot of guys are like, I don't know who that is. I've never heard of him. I've never heard of him. Well, I think it has nothing to do with the names on the back. It's all about what you do for the work on the guy for the name on the front. Right. And maybe I said that wrong, but basically, you know, no individual, I think, can ever do anything unless they're part of a team, and part of that team is the leadership. I, I think there's a lot of times where people don't meet expectations of what people want, and I think a lot of the times it can be chalked up to um, leadership more so than the individual. Right, the, the lack of motivation. And you, and you hit and it on the head yeah. with, you know, you can't fire the team, you can only fire the coach. That's right. why a lot of fire chiefs move about and everything else, where you know, Joe Torre was a great coach when he was with the Yankees, won a lot of World Series, everything else. And that stopped for a little bit. And they said, time to make a move. And he left and, you know, went to another team. And the next thing you know, they're in the playoffs. You know, and, um, I, I think a lot of that, too, is ego and power ruin a lot of organizations and a lot of teams. Um, ego and e- you know, egos eat brains. I love that saying. I've used that for a long time. Um, you know, I make fun of myself every day. There's a lot of people out there that, that read their own newspaper clippings. There's a lot of fire chiefs that have nine foot arms that pat themselves in the back all the time. It's, it's not about them. It's about your people, but passion drives success and uh, teams are teams and it takes a whole team. Like, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, all the years my daughter played uh, a very high end, you know, and I saw the softball level, fast pitch softball, played D one softball in college, Texas, five, a state champion catcher. And I, I dealt as coaching. I'm, very honored. I, I got inducted to softball hall of fame in 2011. I played ball for a long time and uh, I dealt with a lot of coaches when I was helping recruit. And a lot of coaches would talk to you about like simple things like one of the greatest coaches in, in, you know, uh, fast pitch softball for, for uh, in women's sports, you know, Patty Gasso from OU said, you know, I, I, I have a girl, I, I put this girl in to run. I didn't put her in there just to get her in the game. There's a whole strategy and I have her on this team. You know, she said, she said, you know, she's a track star and she goes, she can't hit a softball. She can't hit a softball, but man, can she run? And everybody has value. Everybody has a way to contribute. The good bosses, the good coaches, the great ones know how, how to identify those talents. You know, you've got someone in your firehouse that's an electrician, someone who's a plumber, someone who's a, in a trade, someone who's a school teacher, someone who's, I mean, Oh my, you know, someone who's good with computers. I mean, the good bosses, the great bosses sit around and they look around the kitchen table and, and if they're looking at it right, they feel like they've got a bunch of millwrights working for them. And, and a lot of uh, your listeners will know, you know, I know when I, when I would go to Nelco chemical at Bedford park for an incident, you know, we'd be there with a team. I was always looking around to see out of the emergency response team from the factory where the millwrights were because millwrights can run any machine can do anything. Well, those are firefighters. You look around the firehouse and man, we've got everything represented from landscapers to plumbers, to school teachers, to 
financial advisors, to, you know, every walk of life was represented the fire service. But as a boss, if you're not paying attention to those people, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not looking and listening and, and, and getting to know your people, you'll never know the true capability of your team. And that's where sometimes a new boss comes in, Mike, a new coach, and, 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 and starts looking, going, oh, my God, look at this one, look at this one. And next thing you know, they've got the best firehouse. That camp's got the best firehouse in the city. And not over, not over ego, not over power, but because they just kick ass everywhere they go. You know, I, I've said it before. I've always been very competitive in my life. I've never been picked second, whether it's football or baseball or softball. But I bet I, I wanted Chiefs, and they did, to reach past other people to pick me, <clears throat> to pick me and my crew. And I do the same thing. There's been times we've hit something, and I've looked, I go, no. I look at this guy, his eyes are this big. I got another another captain. I wouldn't let walk my dog. And I look, and there's my But if you're not paying attention to people, if you're not testing and figuring out and realizing where they're at talent-wise, you'll never be, you'll never be a great team. I do I do a program, Mike. I'm get, I'll be doing it in Washington this weekend. And the program's titled What It Takes to Be That Great Fire Department. And it's just that. What does it take to be that great fire department? You know, everybody, you know, and, and I, I love the company logos. I'm a big believer in that. I love the challenge coins. I love the t-shirts. I'm into all that. But it's more than that stuff. You know, there's a lot of places that have all that and they suck. You know, mm-hmm. so what does it take to truly be that great fire department? But uh, but you're right. You've got to be coachable. You've, you've got to be you've, you've got to be teachable, like you said. And but you need people that are willing to come in there and step up and be the boss and uh, lead people. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's also a lot a lot to be said about what you brought up about people bring everything to the table. And um, I listened to a podcast uh, called The Weekly Scrap that had Tim Klett on yeah. it, and he was talking about how, you know, you always train for your uh, weakest link. Now, being the weakest link is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just people are at different levels, different places in their life. I mean, think about it, you know, you could be in your mid-30s as a lieutenant, and you could have a guy on your shift that's a 19-year-old kid that just got hired. His perspective and perception of life is much different than yours, that doesn't make him a bad person. And he's also, an ex- he may be fairly inexperienced if he's brand new, but now you have all these different layers of maturity, life experience, all these things. And then you look, you look around the kitchen table because hopefully you and your guys and you and your girls are eating dinner together. And, you know, you're spending time together, being present in the moment together as a crew, not, you know, off in your different places in the workplace. Um, you have many, many different levels and many different life experiences and many different skill sets that you're, you know, you as the leader, you're bringing together. And I think in my experience as an officer, uh, cause I'm a company level officer. Um, and I have six people that I supervise on a day on, um, on our shift. Um, one thing that I've, I think that I've learned is, you know, you don't always have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just have to know what your resources are, who brings what, how to use them. And I'm not going to say exploit, but I think if you, you know, I know for a fact when I walk into work, hands down, I am not the smartest or the most experienced at all. But if I know how to um, strategic or not strategically, maybe that's a bad way to say it. If I know how to, uh, use the people for their skill sets and, and not use it in a bad way. But I mean, if you, if I know how to, we'll say deploy, so it doesn't sound bad. So it doesn't sound um, like you're taking advantage of somebody. I'm not really sure how to say this, but basically the long story short is if you know, whatever your problem situation, whatever it is, but you know, the right person that can handle that, 
let them do it. Get out of their way, let them do it. And you just coordinate what needs to be done. Let them work. You, you know what I mean? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? I'm oh, absolutely. T- tied, up, tied up on my words, but. Um, no, ab- absolutely. Firefighters want to be led. I don't care who they are. Firefighters, they want, they, they after you're screaming to be led, they want SOPs, SOGs, rules and regulations, labor contracts, volunteer, all that stuff. They want you to tell them what to do. Then they want you to get the hell out of the way. But but let, you, you brought up something that made me think of uh, when we talked about different ages, um, Mike. And, and one of the things that that's frustrating for me, and, I, and I've been I've been doing this little shtick when, I, when I'm going to talk about here in a second for a while now, is, you know, when I review articles for fire engineering, which I do quite often for Diane, <clears throat> um, as one of the editorial advisors for the magazine, if if I if somebody starts, there's there's about three ways it can end up in the garbage can for me. One is screw up the line from backdraft. When you get some of the Facebook firefighters out there that do this, you know, they sit there and they go, you know, it's been said that uh, two thousand years of tradition. I'm like, no, it's not two thousand years, and it wasn't even a line. It was a piece of paper on the wall in the Chicago firehouse that said, you know, the Chicago fire department 150 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. If you can't get that line right from backdraft, I, I don't want to even read your article because I know the rest of it's not right. And and by the way, the, the Chicago Fire Department is one of the most progressive fire departments I know with great leadership and great firefighters. But the other part of that is when I see someone use the word culture, you know, it's a cultural, you know, well, there are some things, but I, 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 I understand that, but stop using it as an excuse. And then because what they get to, Mike, is they want to blame generations. I don't know if you heard these people talk about... And I say this in class, how many firefighters in the room have been referred to in the, early in your career as by the old guys as the kids? And everybody raised their hands. Yeah, we got these kids. You know, you get these old guys that go, it's a different fire service. It was when I got into it. It's, it's a different fire service. And I'm like, thank God we still be drunk and, and, and yawn horses if you had your way, <laughs> you know. And, you know, but, but I said, but on the other hand, you know, see the old guys call, call the, the young guys and gals kids and the kids call the old guys dinosaurs. And what I always say real quick about dinosaurs is this, the smartest people in the world right now, as we speak right now, every second of the day, every day of the week, the smartest people in the world are still studying dinosaurs to learn from them. Think about that. All the scientists and all the people out there are still studying dinosaurs to learn from them. So next time you look around your firehouse and you see an old dinosaur sitting there, just, just think about that. On the other hand, I have met some incredible kids some incredible kids 18 19 year old firefighters they're absolutely incredible i've met 18 19 year old sailors and marines and soldiers and, and airmen that they're you know coasties that are incredible and i've met people in their 50s and 60s who were jackasses so I, I i have very little patience for people that want to blame generations you know it's a generation is gen- and you know every generation brings with it its challenges i absolutely agree with that it always has been a challenge stop bitching you know, a lot of people, as much as I love, you know, the fire service, some of us have short-term memories. And, and Mike, I asked my dad, my dad was a, a, a gunnery sergeant of Marines in Korea, a firefighter, you know, Polak, you know, tough, tough old roofer. <clears throat> and I asked him years ago, so dad, what was it like, you know, hiring people in the 60s? And I didn't get 60s, Mike, out of my mouth. And my dad said, you mean them damn hippies? <laughs> and he went, on, he went on a tangent about hippies for like 10 minutes. And yeah. I, I look and I go, how arrogant do you have to be to think that your generation is better than another? There are people that, you know, there, there are people that carry with a baggage that we have to work through. But all walks of life, are there, is there the, the Y generation? Yes. Is there the me too? I, I, what about me? What about me? What about, yeah, you know, 
Every generation has, but great leaders, instead of bitching and complaining and whining, they figure out a way to look at everybody in their fires, like you said, and go, okay, I've got that generation, that generation, that generation. You could talk to this generation a certain way. You could talk to this generation. And people go, that's bullshit. You should be able, I said, you know what? If you're if you think you can paint the fire service with one broad brush, you're you're out of touch. You're out of touch and you don't have a clue. And you're probably a really horrible leader, you know. But the generational thing. Uh, some guys use it as an excuse. And I'll, I'll, I tell this story in class a lot. I was at 29 Paul. Or let me back up. I did some class at 29 Paul's the Marines. I'm at Camp Pendleton. Going to do a class for the Marines and the sailors there. And and I'm in the office with the gunnery sergeant, Mike, who's coordinating the training. And we're talking about the week coming up. And out in the foyer, there's another gunny sitting out there. Now, if you're in the service or for your listeners, if you're a soldier or you're a Marine, you know this. You don't ever call a gunnery sergeant, sergeant. All right. It's either gunnery sergeant, you know, Montoya or gunny or gunny. Anyway, so I, I just can't paint him like Afghanistan. And he's delivering the invitation to the command master. She was retiring. And he walks and he looks up. He says, excuse me, sergeant. And I looked over just in time to see this gunny jump over his desk, jump, cleared his desk and jumped. And he's in this kid's face yelling at him. Do you not know I'm a sergeant? And he's screaming. He's spitting all over the kid. And I saw this guy later. And I said, what was he yelling at you about? He goes, I don't know, dude. I think I blacked out like three times. He, <laughs> he's this guy was and so the whole time this guy, this is guy is this isn't a minute, Mike. This guy is going, sure. this is going on forever. He's screaming at this kid, making right recite the history of the United States Navy, United States Marine Corps, and this. And the gunny I'm talking to sitting behind his desk with his arms full, just looking at me like nothing's going on. I go, So how do you deal with that? He goes, Well, what? I said, you know, with with the millennials or with the generations. The generation, he goes, What? I go, how do you deal with the generations? He goes, we don't deal with generations here. We deal with Marines. You either, you either want to be part of something special or you don't. Yeah. And and, I, and it, that's why I kind of go with the fire service. This, this is the fire service. You know, you either want to be part of something special or you don't. And I'll, I'll say this because I deal with a lot of HR people. I deal a lot of organizations as a consultant. Not everybody is cut out to be a firefighter. Not everybody is supposed to be a firefighter. Like not everybody's supposed to be a school teacher or a lawyer or a police officer or whatever. Not, but not everybody's – it takes someone very special to be a firefighter. And if you have what it takes, if you have core values, if you're teachable, like you said, if you're coachable, if, you're, if you've got passion, because I'll hire anybody. I've told this before. I don't care who you are. If you have values, if you have a passion, a spaceship can land outside. They could get off there. They could be green little people with, with, with antennae and all that. If they have passion, I'll hire them. But uh, people who laugh, people who, do, who don't love what they do suck at what they do. And I thought that was such a great message. Like, really, we don't, you know, we, we don't, we don't hire generations. We don't, we, we, we hire Marines. We, you know, we train Marines and, and you can put that to any other, the five branches. I'm just saying the fire service, you know, at what point, cause you know, I tell some of the old guys, stop blaming. I, I mean, there's, I, I, I just, I don't know how, how you can think except for experience, but Every generation has something to offer. And, and like I said, there's some young firefighters that are kicking ass and doing a great job. And there are some guys and gals that are in their 60s that are kicking ass and taking it. I know guys that are older than that, they're volunteers. They're still great. And everybody sure. in between. When we start to stereotype people, Michael, and pigeonhole them, is when we go against the very kind of thing we say we don't like in leaders. Yeah. You know, We commit the same errors that we bitch about when we start doing that. So I, I just think, you know, everybody has trainable moments. Nobody started in the fire service perfect. Everyone of us walked in the door, knew, not knowing what the hell we were doing. 
and and somebody gave us a chance. So give people a chance. You know, they'll, they're either going to show you or they're not. Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny that uh, it's interesting the way that you put that. And the, the biggest thing that I can relate that to is, I, so I have a six year old son, and you know, debate. I, I don't want to call it a metaphor, but basically, you know, my son now can walk, talk. Uh, he can read, or he's starting to read. He can write. Um, he, he's very uh, independent with a lot of things. He can, you know, he can get dressed. He can, you know, put his shoes on for school. We're working on tying his shoes. He, you know, his, mo- his mother likes the bunny ears. I'm a loop swoop and pull guy. But, you know, I mean, we'll figure that out at some point, I guess. He can put his backpack together. All those things, right? He he did not come home from the hospital being able to do those things. Right. That's That's time. Well, it's time, commitment, love consistency and effort so you know just like i love my child you know i love the guys and girls that i work with i love them they're great you know the crew i have now is is second to none and and i say that all the time and they probably get sick of hearing it and they you know they often give me a hard time for being that for uh you know actually they give me a hard time about everything but you know (laughs) you have to you have to truly care right and i think as leaders um regardless of what field we're in our entire job is to pull out the good from everyone, correct what needs to be fixed, and then guide the team to accomplish whatever your goal is. Anything. It could be for the drill for the day. It could be to make sure your reports are done if that's deficient. Whatever. Insert any goal. It doesn't matter. I, I think at the end of the day, as long as you know the destination, your job as the leader is to pull out the good, correct what needs to be fixed, and guide them to accomplish that goal. And, and I think – you know, you can't, expe- you can't expect people to come in at 100 miles an hour. No, you, 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 you learn to roll over, crawl, walk, run, and then sprint, right? You have to get them there. And just like anything else, I mean, as a leader, you're kind of a parent because you have to care. You have to care. You have to put the work in. And you have to understand that everything's not always going to be perfect and it's okay our job is there to teach you, guide you, correct things, and then most of all, encourage, and then you know give them affirmation when they do it correctly. You can't expect these guys and girls coming off the streets, maybe never having a job before in the fire department's their first job. I you know I've experienced that with some people, and and it shows. You know, um, you brought up being you know you excuse me, you brought up working for bad leaders, good leaders, and great leaders. I was a horrible officer when I started. I didn't know what to do. I had a terrible ego. I had some life stuff going on and I took for granted exactly who I was and what I was doing. And unfortunately I created a lot of trauma. Uh, trauma. I created a lot of problems for myself um, because I was arrogant and, and I was a absolutely horrible officer and leader. And I, I just thought people would listen to me because I was an officer. I wanted to get off a of medic unit because we have to be medics to promote. And unfortunately as, as, as humiliating as that is, and you know, I have to be humble about it. it as much as I, w- I wish I could take those years back and you know pretend like they never happened, you know, as embarrassed as I used to be, now I'm happy that I went through that because now I can appreciate and understand where I should be as an officer. And there's days where I feel like I don't meet that mark. It's not for a lack of being, um, you know, a lack of confidence or anything like that. I just, I feel like, you know, I'm never at that level I want to be. I'm always chasing that next bar of uh, proficiency. You know, I feel like I never get even close to it. Kind of like, you know, that commercial where they got the little dollar bill on the fishing line. I'm like, oh, you almost had it. Like, I feel like that's where I'm always, where I always am when I, you know, when I, where I try to get to that level that I want to be at. 
So um, with that being said, you know, that's my evolution, you know, for, for me as an officer, I've come a very long way. Um, you know, I don't want to talk about myself a lot, but you know, that's why I'm here with this, with this podcast and why I wanted to bring you on. Um, so I wanted to ask you with pride and ownership and everything as, as you move forward over the years and everything like that, how has it evolved and helped you as a chief when you were a chief and now that you're the training officer, how's all that kind of come together where you're now pushing that off to other guys and girls and, and, you know, how has it changed you as a leader? Well, there, the, the hard part to the hard part to answer that is there's so many areas within pride ownership that we cover. Um, you know, I'm honored when I, I have somebody come up and say, you know, my, my whole career changed because of going through pride ownership or, you know, uh, you know, they get pretty emotional at it. You know, I was a firefighter and I was kind of like a, a duck wandering around a thunderstorm really with no, no sense of direction or my passion wasn't there or whatever. Um, Cause I've been there. Like I said, I, you know, early in my career um, I got to a point where I hated the job. I was going through some horrible things in life. Uh, I had another buddy killed and all this stuff. And I, I, I hated going to the firehouse. I hated being there. And one of my mentors uh, actually stood me on my head. He, uh, he gave me a, uh, as my wife would say, the minister's daughter, a bitch slap. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he told me, he said, um, he, he, he said, Rick, I've never taken you for a weekling. You know, you know, you're a big guy, you know, big, big athlete, all this different stuff. He goes, I'm, I'm never taken for a weekling. And I go, that's because I'm not. He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, no, I'm not. And he says, yeah, yeah. I said, you better explain. He said, uh, I, I've never met a firefighter that would somebody break into their four to four thousand pickup truck parked behind the firehouse or, or you know, let, let someone break into their home where their husband or wife or kids are at home where they wouldn't want that bad guy arrested, prosecuted, and thrown in prison. But you let some mutt reach into your heart and steal your passion for the greatest job in the world. He goes, that's being weak. And he was right. He was right. I gave up my love. Passion drives success. So when people come up and, and they talk about pride and ownership, and they say it, it got them to, like it says in the back, you know, to reignite their passion or love for the job, <clears throat> or in some cases, take it to the next level. So, <clears throat> like I said, it's kind of hard on the answer thing to go, okay, it, it, how it helped me as a chief, as a train officer is, for me, it reinforced the feelings I've had as to why I love the fire service in the first place. It's why the ceremonies are so important. Recognizing your people, you know, recognizing their efforts, recognizing the hard work they put in to get promoted or get to hire, hired in the first place, put a new engine in service or a new ladder, you know, do an honorary firefighters and fire chiefs, uh, you know, station, you know, new, new station, new firehouse openings. You know, the, the, some of the, the, the ceremonies I love seeing are all the, the swearings, but all the, the push-ins, the wedding now ceremonies, the new apparatus that we brought back that used to be done a long time ago before we had, before we even had horses in the fire service for the most part. Um, you know, all those things, uh, it, it, you know, it serves me as a leader, as a reminder that I, I said it before, if you don't love what you do, you suck at what you do. I won't even give you very good. If you don't love what you do, you, you, you suck at it, period. Passion drives success, man. Passion drives people who are passionate. And I'll tell you the other thing, if you tie everything with pride and ownership, the love for the job together, you know, I, I was talking to a group the other day and, and, and it kind of hit me. The greatest leaders I've either been around, met, or have read about, there's one common thread among all of them, and that's that they value family. And the fire service says you value your family, the first family, the one at home, and you value the second family, the one in the firehouse. And there are a lot of people out there that that 
that they had the ball caps on the t-shirts and they talked brother sister thing, but they couldn't find the word brotherhood with two hands, a flashlight and a CNI dog. So for me as a, as a leader, uh, as, as a, as a coach, as an instructor, as a train officer, you know, my job isn't to walk into the Wichita West volunteer fire department and be some know-it-all. I can't stand know-it-alls. I can't stand perfect people, know-it-alls and people who are pompous and arrogant really bother me. My job is to go in there and share. And you said something before I've said for years, leadership and parenting are, are one of the same. You know, if you see a bunch of kids acting a fool, just look to the parents and you'll see what the problem is. You see a bunch of firefighters acting like jackasses. Don't blame them. They're, they're being allowed to act exactly how their company officers love. Look, look at the company officer. The company sure. officer sets the tempo for that. So what it's done for me, it, it's got me to realize that working for a bad boss is actually one of the best educations you'll ever get in the leadership world. That another program I do, great leaders make difficult decisions. That you know what? Anybody can sit there. What's the saying? Any captain can sail a ship on on smooth seas, calm seas, but it's a, a true captain that can sail through the rough seas. That's the same thing. Anybody can make the fun and easy decisions. How about every great leader out there that has had to make had, had to have that hard, that tough conversation? There's a lot of bosses that just can't pull that off. And, and my mentor and surrogate godfather, Alan Brunacini, used to say, if you want to make everybody happy, go sell ice cream. Doesn't mean you have to be an ass, but you have to be, you have to be a leader. You have to be a boss. You have to take care of your people because what, what the whole love for the job and understanding that you can't get there by being mediocre is we got one shot to do it right, Mike. We, there are no do-overs in the fire service. Absolutely. There are no do-overs. I, I bet, you know, the line of duty stuff I've done, all the funerals, we have one chance. This isn't, oh, you burnt my pizza, go make me a new one. Another one, you have one chance to get it right. And, and firefighters and officers and chiefs who have fun, love this job. Oh, my God, love it. But when they when they take that serious look at it and go, you know, what I do is is pretty amazing and pretty incredible, but carries with it a tremendous amount of responsibility, I think a lot of times that's a driving force behind wanting to be better and wanting to be great at what you do and to continue, you know, continuously look for ways to improve. So I think pride and ownership has... has has done that, but let me just finish with that. With the end of that question, Mike, is if I could sum it up, one thing: pride and ownership for me has kept me in love with the job. You know, people have said, you know, well, you, does, is it, does the pride come first, or the ownership, or whatever? I think that's on the individual. I love sure. the word "my," you know, but if you don't own, if you, the, the, I'm not talking about the pride associated with arrogance, it's a bad thing. I'm talking about the pride associated with "my." with the ownership. This is my town. This is my engine. This is, that's my, Mike's my company officer. That's my chief. This is my, these are my, you know, I love the word my, I, I mean, I just, I love that kind of passion. People who take ownership, it, it, it's no different than, you know, you walk into a, a, I've been in hotels in my travels where the person behind the desk, it says guest services on their name tag. But you would think it said hotel owner because they bent over backwards and did cart, you know, backflips and cartwheels to make <clears> you <throat> feel comfortable. You know what I'm saying? I, I always ask sure. you, like, so you've got a six year old, right? You've got kids, you know, older or younger. Which teacher was your favorite? And I love teachers. Teachers are our future builders. God bless our teachers. But I would ask this question which teacher you love the most? The one that can't seem to get your kids' grades in the computer on time? Or the one that sends an email out of the blue about your son or daughter saying what an asset, what a great child, and it's not a copy and paste job because you're saying something specific about your child. Well, the answer, obviously, is I know which teacher you want your kid to be around. Well, same thing. I, 
I, I, I'm not quitting. I'm not going away. I, with my volunteer fire pit, yes, Ryan, my chief, I'm either, I'm either driving a tender to a train derailment or on an EMS run in the middle of the night, or I'm riding the front seat or I'm, you know, getting, doing what I can to get support from, you know, whether it's donation, whatever. I just, I just want to be somewhere I can make a difference and contribute, you know, to, to this great profession. And I, I think that's what it's done for me. I think, I think, you know, like I said, you, you run into people all the time that are not engaged and don't love the job and you actually feel bad for them. You're like, what happened to you, man? This is the coolest thing in the world. How do you not love this anymore? So I think that's yeah. what it's done for me as a boss. And then everything else comes easy. Like Alan Brunacini used to say, his big program was be nice. You know, simple two words, be nice, man. Just be nice. Well, you know what? Love what you do. Be passionate about what you do. And, and everything else falls behind that. Sure. No, absolutely. And I think the quote that you were looking for earlier was um, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. And that was uh, Franklin Roosevelt, I believe. And the definition behind that was, um, you know, sometimes the best things come from the worst situations. So again, I mean, that's, that's all about, that's all about attitude, really. You know, I, I think that no matter where you go in your life and no matter what situation you're in, if you, if you work hard and you, you know, really give, give that effort in and, and, and work on um, bettering yourself and, and treating people right. And um, you are consistent with it and you stay that lifelong, uh, that lifelong student. And I, I think it's all going to come together, but I mean, you said it the best with uh, Bernsini's uh, ideology of just be nice. You know, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a customer service driven um, industry. And, you know, customers can be anything, it could be the public, but most of all, as a leader, in my opinion, the customer is going to be the people that you serve with. Right. You, you know what I mean? I, I've always looked at it like I've always heard of that leadership, a servant style leadership, and, and, and I understand it and, and I get it. But I, I, I personally think, you know, it should be a supportive leadership. You know, I'm not here to, you know, serve others as far as you know stop i'm trying to think how to say this i'm not there to like you know bend over backwards as far as you know doing everything and everything i can for them no my goal is to do everything i can to make them, them successful go out you know go above and beyond give them 100 percent passion so they know that i truly care about them because i do i think that you know, maybe my description of that maybe not may not have been the best, but basically, I think you shouldn't be serving. I think you should be supporting to get them to do the absolute best that they can and be the best they can be. Absolutely. I think, like you know what I mean. I think when you serve, that means you're doing work for it. But what I think when you when you support, you're you're helping that you're giving them the tools and the 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 situations to be successful and be be the better versions of themselves and. And as a supportive leader, you know, you're holding them accountable. You're, you know, keeping them in line with what you, what your, uh, your mission is. Cause I'm ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, you obviously need to handle everything at the lowest level. I mean, you need to, you know, you need to let the guys be the guys, but ultimately at the end of the day as well too, accountability still has to be there. You're accountable to a boss, you're accountable to the people that you serve and you're accountable to your crew to ensure that they are and tip top form and prime and ready to go to be the best versions of themselves with whatever it is, one call at a time, one day at a time, one drill at a time, one task at a time. It doesn't matter what it is. They need to be 
the all-stars. So, you know, if you're mopping the floor, it needs to be the best mop floor you've ever seen because they know that it needs to get done. They know that they take that much pride in their job. They want to do a, you know, 120% effort in everything. And when everything is given that 110% effort, everything comes together and you're successful and, and, it, and you're, an out, you're an outstanding team and, and you become a uh, very cohesive and uh, outstanding crew. Um, so the next part, I want to I move to our last topic because we're getting close to the hour time. Um, in your company officer program on your website, it says, and I'm going to quote it. Uh, I'm not really sure who said this, but it's written in there. It says, uh, great leaders understand how to balance emotion with reason and make decisions that positively impact themselves, their employees, their customers, their stakeholders, and their organizations. We think of what makes someone a great leader. One characteristic that comes to mind is decisiveness. And the next part in that same um, that same quote is, standing behind a decision that everyone agrees with is easy to do. Having the guts to make the difficult one is what separates true leaders from those who are just along for the ride. So those things together, what I'm getting at here is, you know, there's going to come that day where you're going to have that crew, those people you're close with, whoever it is, you're going to have to make a difficult decision. You're going to have to be able to have that confidence to be able to make it regardless if it's popular or not. Um, and that's not easy because you have to have the competence in your job and the situation, the, comp the confidence in yourself to know it's the right decision. And, you know, I, in your, you know, your 45 years, I'm sure you've had this before where, you know, you know, you need to make a decision on whatever that situation is. Everyone disagrees with you and it's tough to go, no, this is the decision. I'm the officer, I'm the leader, whatever. I'm in charge. This is what we're doing. Get it done. And that's a tough situation to be in. I've been in that situation. I've mis failed miserably. And then I've had situations where I've been there and I've made the decision and it worked out and I was right. And, you know, when that's, those situations happen, you know, the guys and the girls will see that like, oh, okay, you know what? He, he, he stood his ground. He, you know, he stuck to his guns and he was right. All right. And that builds up, you know, your credibility as a leader. So um, those are from your uh, company officer program um, that you teach. Can you, uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that for the listeners? Well, uh, the whole, the whole purpose behind the company officer Academy was, you know, uh, and, and it's, it's still this way, sadly, is um, the fire service is one of the few professions where we hire people and we front load them uh, when they start. We, you know, volunteer career, doesn't matter. We put you through firefighter one and two, basic firefighter, whatever you call it. It's still, it's amazing. It's still different all over the country. One standard with all different titles, but um, we, we, we put you through a fire academy, whether it's in-house or outsource it or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, uh, we do that. We put you through EMT school, maybe paramedic school. Um, we uh, maybe hazmat awareness, first responder, all these things. Then we get you, we get, we get you on and, and we, we do CE and drills or drill night. And then a couple years later, there's a bump in the road and you become a driver. And then we promote you a couple years after that to lieutenant or captain. And we do nothing for you. We don't send you anywhere. We don't give you, you know, and I always ask people, what do you remember when you first got promoted to a company officer? The, the, the things that matter the most to you are the class they put you to on how to, you know, plan, organize your day, how to organize the cab, how to counsel, how to coach, how to do performance evaluations, how to discipline people, how to whatever, blah, 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 blah. And people laugh. I go, well, don't feel bad because I was that way too. I, I just got thrown into it. <clears throat> Unlike New York City, 
when you make lieutenant, you go away to four to, you know, for six weeks to school, four for captain. But, you know, you know, we, we just don't do enough to take care of our people. Well, that being said, we keep promoting people into positions. And I, I say there's no disrespect to the chiefs. Okay. Cause my heart mm -hmm. goes out to them, but uh, you, you know, you want to hear something scary, put chief in the title. Forget even company officer, battalion, division, assistant, deputy, you know, district, district chief of department. The men and women, you know, running the whole joint receive the least amount of training. Now, we've got the National Fire Academy. We've, we've, we've got all that, right? Um, we've got the National Fire Academy. We've got, you know, your state association. But the reason we do the battalion chiefs academy is right now in your area, where is there a battalion chiefs academy for people to get promoted to shift commander? Where is this? Where is that? And this is where I will use the word culture. That is a cultural problem. That isn't necessarily a big boss problem. So that being said, you, you can't even get to the point where you're making difficult decisions or, like you know, like we're talking about the, the hardest word to say in the firehouse is no, unless you give people the tools they need to do their jobs. And, you know, we do it at the beginning and then we drop the ball and we never do anything, you know, the rest of their career, you know, unless they're lucky, unless they go out on their own. So, you know, like we like we do a very poor job in the fire academies, uh, helping firefighters start on their very first day, understanding what it is and, and the history of the fire service, why we exist. You know, we we race through that. We race through fire behavior, building construction, because nobody knows that stuff or they, they're not comfortable with it. We want to get to the fun stuff of spraying water and breaking windows and that. Same thing in the leadership world. It's kind of hard to get to a point. And that was where John and I came up with that. We looked at that whole thing. Is you know we got to a point where we're going. I looked at him one day. He looked at me. I said, "I know how we're killing firefighters. All this collapse, disorientation, flashover, all run out of air is all true and accurate, but it's all smoke and mirrors. We're killing firefighters due to the lack of leadership or poor leadership back in the, in, in the in the firehouse before we ever leave the firehouse. You know, it, it, we rule on emotions. My our good friend uh, Bill Carey, I love. You know, he, he, his saying, I use it all the time and credit, credit him with it is, you know, he's into data, not drama. Don't give me your drama. Let's talk statistics. Let's talk, statistics. Let's talk what works. If you're going to get all butthurt because we talk about you're carrying the wrong tool or you took the lapel mic off your radio or whatever, uh, let's deal in facts and, and numbers before we make stuff up. But we can't even get to the point where we're making the hard decisions unless we know why we're even making the decisions in the first place. So that's kind of where that went. And that's why, you know, that all those topics, we, we came up with, we sat down, Mike, we said, okay, what did we get screwed out of when we were new company officers? What would we like to see from our new company officers? What have we heard company officers say they need? And then some other stuff. And we came up with about six weeks worth of material we cherry-picked for five days. But it was hard to get guys for five days. You know, like you, you couldn't get as many. So we, we cherry-picked that for the three. So the three days are jam-packed, but it's all it's all leading down the path. It's, it's like going to parenting one-on-one for your, for your kid. You know, I had somebody joke, we, we talked about the supervisor, manager, and leader. And when we talk about the supervisors, one guy goes, well, you know, I didn't sign up to be a babysitter. And I went, well, no, actually you did. Yeah, I actually did. You, you know, more technical term is you're a supervisor, you're a boss, you know. And, and let me just, let me just, I got to say something real quick. I know, Mike, I've been saying boss and leader both at the same time. And, and there, there's a meme out there that people post and it's, it's, it's the, it, there are two columns and it's like the difference between a boss and a leader. And it says the first, like the boss yells at you, leader rubs your shoulders. And and I love the people that like to separate those two, like, you know, they're like, you know, there's a difference between, you know, bosses are bad and leaders are great. Well, 
I have worked for great bosses and I've worked for horrible bosses and I've worked for so-called leaders that couldn't find the word leader without a compass, you know, and a laser beam. So I tell people, don't concentrate on titles as much as concentrate on the traits. What makes them a better boss? What makes them a great leader, you know, instead of assigning a title to it? I think that's an easy, cheap way out of that. But sure. as for the tough decisions, you can't even get there. I, I, some of the decisions I've had to make in my career, I could have never made earlier in my career because I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the education. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the how-tos from the mentors and people I was around. And when I go fix things at fire departments, that's usually because someone made a decision based on really not having a lot of information to make that decision, you know, and then the next thing we're in a whole process and so on and so forth. So, you know, I guess in a nutshell what that is, I learn something about this job every day. Every day I read something, I watch it, I watch a video, I learn something. I, I, I mean, my buddy John Salk is the same way. We both were sitting there going, did you see this? I mean, I learned something. When you think you get to a point where you're a know-it-all, when you get to a point where you think you're you're an expert or you're this, they're all talking about you. People are already talking about you. Listen to that guy. He, you know, you know, you know, again, age has nothing to do with it. I've met some 20-year-old firefighters that are freaking incredible that teach great classes. What I'm saying is you got to learn something every day about this job. You have to continually look to raise your own bar, not the one for other people. But the company officer cabby is just if we could produce if we could produce better company officers, will we not promote and you know produce better chief officers? But when we don't even start with helping the guys and gals who get promoted to the front seat, giving them the tools they need to do their jobs, it, it that's it. The bag of marbles hit the floor and they're going in a different direction. So that's kind of where that all goes. Is it's all about preparation, being a student of the fire service, and constantly striving to be the best you can at the perch you're at right now. If that's if you're a new firefighter, you already know what you should be doing for a new firefighter. If you're a senior firefighter, if you're a cut, you know it. But the moment you think you're all that, me and my buddy John Salka say all the time, we're just a couple of chooch firefighters that love what we do. Egos eat brains. You know, know-it-alls will get you hurt and killed. Constantly learn. But, man, you know, you can't even get to the point where you're going to make that tough decision if you don't prepare yourself to be able to do that. So I hope that kind of answered that. Yeah, definitely. And you have to have a good foundation. And I think, you know, it's kind of like a filing cabinet. And I heard somebody else use this uh, metaphor in the past where you can have a filing cabinet with, with, with two drawers on it. And the, the bottom one is going to be your experience. Top one's going to be your education. You pull the drawer out on the top, the cabinet's going to fall over. You pull, you pull the drawer out on the bottom, which is your experience, and the drawer and the cabinet stays. You pull them both out, the cabinet's going to stay, right? So, you know, you may not be the highest educated, but if you have experience, like engaged in experience, and experience can be uh, things you've learned, um, things you've done, things you've talked about, things you've seen done, you physically with your eyes have seen them, um, you've been a part of something, you know, whatever it is, when you experience those things, those things go in your memory forever and you live them and you, le you learn them, or oh. you learn them and you live them. And so with that being said, you know, one thing that I've always been a firm believer in and has gotten me out of a lot of situations that I may or may not have, you know, talked about or identified to anyone um, specifically is, you know, brilliance in the basics. There's been plenty of times where I've pulled up as an officer and in my mind, I may not have said this out loud because um, I'm not afraid to lean on the guys on my shift if I need it, uh, where I had no idea what to do or where to start. But in my mind, I'm like, all right, well, I know this is what's going on. So I'm going to start here. 
because I just looked at it as just a backstep fire guy, firefighter, where I'm just like, all right, you know, uh, well, this is what needs to happen. So I'm going to start there and start working. At all that extra officer stuff is it, it takes a back seat to it because the ba if you have brilliant, if you're brilliant in the basics, everything else will fall into place. In, hopefully, um, in my experiences, they have. And the one thing that I've seen and, I, and I've noticed a lot with um, not anyone in particular, no department, I'm not by any means saying any department specifically, what I've seen and heard is there's a lot, a lot of people out there that mistake luck for skill and authority for experience. Just because you're whatever rank does not mean anything. You still have to put in the work. You still have to prove yourself. And you're only as good as your last fire. And unfortunately, I've learned and been on both sides of that fence where I went in and, um, you know, m the most embarrassing call and situation I've ever been on my entire fire service career. And I started in 2001, the most embarrassing call I've ever been on when I was a career officer. And to this day, it's something that I regret. I did terrible at and I can't stand it. Since then, there's been fires where I've stepped up and I, that I, that fires that I've gone on and it, the crew knocked it out of the park. We looked, we were rock stars. And that's because the guys that, are, that, that, uh, that I work with now are absolutely second to none. And, you know, I, I think there's going to be days that are good and bad. And I think it's just a matter of continuously sharpening your, sharpening your edge, um, on, on, on getting better. Um, you know, cause you have to be, you have to be the one that gets yourself there because you have to do your own studying. You have to do, you know, your own training. Um, Cause unfortunately, as you said, the industry may or may not provide a pipeline of uh, leadership. You know, leadership's a journey. It's not a destination. It's going to take a lot of work along the way, you know? And, and I think if you think you're, you know, I think if people think they're going to sit back and it's just, it's all going to work out. I mean, I think you're going to be sorely mistaken. Um, you know, there's that old saying where it says, if you, you know, if you want to go fast, you go yourself. If you want to go far, you go with others. So you have to create a network. You have to, and, and you, you know, you have to have mentors. You have to have people you look up to. And part of all that though, needs to be your self-education and, and, you know, your, your humility, you have to be humble and you have to understand that you are not going to know absolutely everything. It's not going to happen. And things that you do and, and situations you're going to be in and, and your ability to make decisions will put as a perishable skill that you have to continuously work on. And, and um, you know, leadership itself is, is almost like a piggy bank. You have to continue to make deposits of being dependable, doing the right thing, being a good lieutenant or a, a good leader, you know, whatever. When, when those situations come up, you know, as you handle them, taking care of your people, taking care of a situation, you know, whatever it is you're continuously filling that bank of credibility for calls, for situations, for decisions, always. You're continuously filling that up. And sometimes you may have to pull out of that, that bank by saying, you know, hey guys, or, you know, whoever, hey, I'm not really sure what to do with this situation. I need your help. Or, hey, what do you think we should do with this? And, you know, I, I've, I say to some of my guys, I say to my guys sometimes, you know, hey, I'm thinking this, yeah, I mean, in the heat of the moment, it's a much different thing because at that point, quite frankly, it, it's not a it's not a democracy at that point. It's a dictatorship. And, and, you know, when I say we need to do something, we're going to do it. But, you know, don't be afraid to rely on people and say, you know, hey, Bill, Bill could have as much time as you do or more time, you know, whatever. Hey, Bill, man, I'm thinking line over ladder, third floor. What do you think? 
nah, LTI, that's not, that's not a good idea. We need it through the front door or whatever the situation is, if that makes sense to you. Um, you know, you're going to have to rely on those guys and girls. And, and, you know, just like anything else, and, you, you know, you kind of said a little bit before is just as a family and just as raising a child, it takes a village. So no one person independently can do absolutely everything. And that's why you need to be able to create that culture and, um, you know, can keep yourself on that path to foster those environments. So. No, that all makes sense. That's kind of where I'm at. That's kind of where I'm at with that. I know that was, (laughs) I apologize for that being a little dragged out, but I mean, you know, it's like you said, I mean, it's actually kind of, uh, reassuring to know that guys with your experience and your time on and the backgrounds with you and, and Chief Salka have of, you know, when you said it yourself of what did we miss out on as officers and leaders, you know, I think this can kind of, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know I can, you know, I know that, um, you know, once the classroom is over, that does not end your learning you know what I mean? And, and no classroom and no book and nothing can ever prepare you for what you're about to get yourself into. And you have to, you, you have to rely on that experience and learn as you go, just like you said. Yeah, absolutely. So we're hitting right at that hour mark, chief. Um, I think this has been a great discussion. Uh, you know, I, I greatly appreciate your time, uh, your effort and everything that you're doing. Um, you know, where is a good place that people can reach out to you? Where can we follow you? Where can we find you on social media if people want, if people would like to? Um, it, it's kind of easy. Uh, our My publisher set that up uh, a while back. Um, uh, it was pretty much Chief Lasky. My email is chieflasky at gmail.com. My website is chieflasky uh, at, at you know, chieflasky.com. Twitter is the same thing. YouTube is the same thing. Social media. So sure. uh, that, that's pretty easy uh, uh, if you just hit that, whichever Whatever platform you're looking at, a lot of it's, like I said, all on the website at chieflasky.com. But uh, uh, the podcast, you know, that we, you know, we we have the third hump day hangout that uh, me and Terry McGrath host with uh, until recently Chief Bobby Halt. But we've got the, the, the new boss, uh, new boss from old school, if you will, Chief David Rhodes. We love David uh, mm-hmm. and John Salka, Scott Thompson. We have the third hump day hangout of every month on fireengineering.com. Uh, John and I do the command posts, that podcast for fire engineering. Then we do the old school, which you can get pretty much anywhere. So um, a lot of good things going out there. Thanks for what you do, man. You got a great message and uh, a great following. And we need more people like you, Mike, doing what you're doing for the fire service, dude. So thank you for what you do. I, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, that, that was very, uh, very humbling, uh, a very humbling statement. Thank you. Um, do you have any any other final comments, concerns, or anything else you want to say to the listeners before we uh, finish this up? Nothing. You know what? Love the job. Take care of each other. Be the brother or sister that you tell people you are. Wrap your arms around that. That means you're you're there for them all the time. Anybody can back you up on a line or when you're making a surgery on a roof. A true brother or sister is there for you 24-7 in and especially out of the firehouse. So just let's take care of each other a little better. So that would be my message. I agree. I think that you're out of, you're um, off of a call more than you're on, a, you're at a call. You know, I think, you know, 90% of the day you're not on fires, you're in the firehouse interacting with each other. So you got to take care of each other, be good to each other, treat people with respect. So, uh, so that's going to end our show. Chief, hang out for a minute while we, we, we close this out. 
Um, guys and girls, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, tip of the spear leadership, be present, be yourself, be unstoppable. Thanks, guys. And uh, keep an eye out for the next coming weeks. We have some more episodes coming up. We're looking forward to it. And thank you all for everything. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. What a in-depth, fantastic conversation with Chief Rick Lasky. His, his experience in the fire service stretches over 40 years and you know the, the wisdom is, is on full display. Um, lots of great points, lots of valuable knowledge and valuable knowledge through practical application on his end that he brings to us. You know, I think it says a lot about somebody when, you know, they can tap into experience of four decades. You know, four decades is a long time and, and you know, time is is ultimately what you make of it. And I think that, you know, without, it doesn't have to be said that Chief Lasky is a uh, pioneer of leadership and a pioneer uh, in his and his, and his endeavors to create uh, foundational leadership and, and educate others and, and leaving a, a good legacy for the fire service and bringing the fire service into a, a whole new world um, for leadership and, and leaving it better than he found it. So fantastic information. You know, I, I can't thank Chief Lasky enough. Thank you so much, Chief. And, um, you know, before we go, everybody, please show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast network. Hit the like button, download, share, subscribe to the show, share with your friends and coworkers. Um, leave us a five-star review. Those are our favorite. It's going to help us gain exposure, spread our message, and grow the show. Also, check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Search Tip of the Spear Leadership. Thanks, guys. You have a great day. Um, And as I said before, keep an eye out for more episodes in the coming weeks. We have a lot of good guests coming in with a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, and some fantastic leaders. Uh, We're going to add all the links for Chief Lasky in the description. So go ahead and check that out. And you all have a great day. Thank you.